You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Genesis chapter 27 uh, with the addition of Genesis 26 verses 34 and 35 as if we didn't have enough contained in Genesis 27 we bring in a little bit from Genesis 26 and it seems as if several commentators also taken the first parts of Genesis 28 into this story so there could have been even more text to look at uh, this morning but nonetheless it is a a well-known passage, an interesting passage, uh, but one in which I think there's tremendous things to see and to learn here. So let us come to Genesis 26, verses 34 through the end of chapter 27. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am, he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapon, your quiver, and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as I love. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and so bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, and he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, 
Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelt the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine, that people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless him. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while, until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send you, send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of these Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Well, it's indeed a long passage, but as you can see, there's a, a unit. There's a, a story that's playing out between the two sons and the blessing that is to be brought, gotten from their father. And as we come to Genesis 27, I think I'm reminded of the simple fact that for comedies and for other TV shows we watch, we, we actually often prefer dysfunctional families over functional ones. And it's probably that because watching a functional family would be no fun at all. And secondly, we would all then feel terrible at how our own families are so dysfunctional. But as we come to this passage, I mean, the one thing that we can all see and agree on is 
this is a dysfunctional family. Things are not going the way they should, and that this is one of the patriarchal families that is the founding or one of the cornerstones, if you will, of the Israelites. You have in this passage, you have a, a father who seems to be very passive and out of the way, but only maybe concerned about his food and the joy that that brings him from his one son. You have Esau who makes life bitter for his parents, and you have Rebekah and Jacob scheming in order to get this blessing upon Jacob instead of on Esau. Regardless of what else we see, we see a dysfunctional family. Yet throughout it all, this is really the story of Genesis. The world was functional and whole right around the time until man was created. It was still perfect and good, God says. But then immediately we have the serpent, we have Eve, and we have Adam, and we have this great dysfunction that then spreads throughout all the earth and throughout all the families of the earth. And it doesn't leave those in the, the line, the godly line, untouched. And I think we see that this morning, that here we have, as I said, a dysfunctional family. Well, as we come to this, uh, the text begins, or we start in chapter 26, the last two verses here, really continue to see the, the character of Esau. And you'll note that the way this passage uh, ends, chapter 26, and the way that chapter 27 ends, uh, and actually in the beginning of chapter 28, uh, is bookending all about Esau's wives. And really, this will be the impetus for sending Jacob away. And so Esau here, he goes and he marries Hittite women. He marries foreign women, and also he's already a polygamist. And Genesis generally seems to portray uh, polygamy as a, a bad thing. And here, not only is he a polygamist, he is also married to foreign women. And what happens? Well, they, they make life bitter for the family. And again, if you just think of the, the character that Esau has demonstrated so far, he's, he's rash. He sells his birthright for a pot of stew. And here he marries these women with what seems to be little regard for his family. And in chapter 28, actually, he'll, he'll then go out in spite and marry an Ishmaelite. And so this is the, the character of Esau. And we're told that Jacob loves him, sorry, Isaac loves him because of his stew. He loves him for what he can do for him. He loves him because he enjoys the food that he cooks. And so we're, we're bookending here, and we're really showing the character of Esau. And he's, he's barely, he's not spoken of much throughout the Isaac and Jacob section. But he's clearly portrayed as someone who is just not a good guy. Not only do we know later on in Romans and in other places, God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. That Jacob was to be the line in which the Messiah would come and Esau's line was not. But also then we see that worked out. For all of Jacob's faults, he is someone who trusts. For all of Isaac's fault, he is someone who trusts. For all of Esau's fault, he doesn't, and he continues to make bad situations worse. So at the beginning of chapter 27, then Isaac, who is old, he thinks that he's near his time of death, and so he wants to bless his son Esau. So he calls Esau to bless him. 
And already the, the situation is a bit peculiar because generally when you're on your deathbed and you're seeking to bless your sons, so you call the entirety of your children in and all of them are then blessed. You can think of the way in which Noah blesses two of his sons and curses the other, or the way that Jacob will later on bless the 12 sons and the sons of Joseph. And so here it's a bit strange that Esau, uh, sorry, that Isaac, thinking he might be close to death, summons only one son. And I think that starts to help us to see that there seems to be a problem here. And as we go through asking the question, I mean, on the one hand, if we ask the question, who's the bad guy in this text, we can say everyone. But at, at a more nuanced level, the, the one who is primarily causing the problems and being disobedient to the revealed will of God is not Rebecca and Jacob. It's Isaac and it's Esau. And I think that's important to keep in the forefront of our mind. And so he calls him in. He calls his son in. He wants to give him this blessing and he tells him to go and take his weapons to go hunt and to prepare the food and to bring it back. He wants his favorite meal. And again, there's this irony that we know is coming. Jacob, sorry, Isaac, who loves Esau for the food, is going to find himself tricked by the food. And again, it, it does seem almost humorous, the ways in which stew <laughs> plays such an important part in these sections in Genesis. The world seems to change because stew was made. And so he wants to give him this blessing. And, and as we start to pull apart this blessing, there's several things that are, are kind of combining together to really help us to see the fullness of what I think this blessing is. One commentator brought out that there are, there, there are three pieces that we see. One's the birthright. There's this material... Um, the, the material blessing that comes from the father, the property, and all of these things. Then there's this patriarchal blessing, the blessing as the, the father who's the patriarch onto his sons. This is what Noah does in uh, chapter 9. And then there's the covenant blessing, the blessing of Abraham that continues through Isaac and through Jacob. And we'll see that. Uh, we see that through the life of Jacob, uh, sorry, through the life of Isaac in chapter 26. And then we'll see that same blessing pronounced on Jacob in chapter 28. The commentator then went on to say that all three, though, are, are somewhat separated. I think as you look at them, as you look at these, they I think, anyway, at least the Bible wants to paint them in a picture that they're all intimately related together. Because you'll remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16, it speaks of Esau selling his birthright and unable to reclaim it even through great tears. The writer of Hebrews is basically taking the birthright and this blessing and he's combining them together. He's saying all of these things are, are very much related. And as we, we looked at that uh, two sermons ago, when Esau sells his birthright, the text points out that he despised it. And also that what he gave away was much more than material property because Jacob never got that. Jacob, at the end of, uh, in chapter 28, leaves penniless, never to receive any of the material blessings from his father. But what he does receive is spiritual blessings. From his father, And this seems to be exactly what Esau doesn't want, doesn't care about. And so I think that they're related to one another. 
And that's what also makes this blessing that Isaac give, why it's so important and why there's this, if you will, uh, uh, great, uh, great way in which everyone is trying to get this blessing. If it was just a, a patriarchal blessing where the father says, I hope you would have a long and prosperous life. That's not really something to be concerned over in terms of the great length at which Rebecca and Jacob go. And also, I think this is reiterated when the plot is discovered and Isaac says, I can't give you another blessing. This blessing is non-transferable. And so then we have Rebecca who overhears this plot or this plan from Isaac to bring Esau and to bless him and to what looks like not to bless Isaac. So she devises this plan. She comes to Jacob and tells him to go out and to take some goats. She will cook it. And he has to go in and pretend that he's Esau. And so he comes and as he hears his mother's plan, he knows that his father clearly is deteriorating and he's blind. And Jacob then goes, I don't think this is a good idea. But he doesn't say, I don't think this is a good idea because we're tricking a blind man. He says, I don't think this is a good idea because if it goes badly, I end up with a curse and not a blessing. And his mother says, don't worry about that. Let that curse fall upon me. And here's how we will trick him. We will put the goat's skin on your arms. We will put on Esau's clothing. And when we look at this, I think we have to come away with this is a really bad plan. This is a really, really bad plan. Because what we have here is there's several things that just don't make sense. For starters, Esau, I mean, Isaac loves this food, this game, presumably some kind of venison, versus goats. He has plenty of goats. Clearly, Jacob can run out to the front yard and grab a goat, and they can cook the goat. So something, there's got to be some kind of taste difference that Isaac clearly prefers. It's as if he orders a gourmet meal from a delivery service, and they show up with a hamburger from McDonald's. And Isaac doesn't notice it. The second thing we have is that Esau is a hairy man. And yet we're going to glue goatskin to Jacob and assume that that will work. And finally, they just clearly have a difference in their voice that he is able to pick up, Isaac is able to pick up immediately. This is a very bad plan. But also, do you note the way in which Rachel, sorry, Rebecca, assuages his concerns? She's like, let that curse be upon me. The whole point of the passage is that blessing isn't transferable. And if that blessing's not transferable, what does that mean about the curse? Is Rebecca promising more than she could actually deliver? And that leads us to, I believe, a, a question. One of those is, what is going on here? And do we have really a dysfunctional family where Rebecca loves Jacob and Isaac loves Esau, and they're both competing for this blessing? Now, on one level, that is what it looks like is happening. But as I said before, Rebecca knows that there's this promise. She knows that there's this promise, this prophecy given by God that the line, uh, this patriarchal line, would continue through Jacob. And not only that, but the family also knows that Esau just flat out gave up his birthright. And lastly, we just see the character of Esau 
over Jacob. And so I think here what Rebecca is seeing is, is that this blessing, as we'll look at it in a more detail in a moment, is something that is incredibly important, but also something God has clearly said is to go to Jacob. And so her husband here in this instance is being disobedient to the revealed will of God. He is seeking to place his blessing on the son that he likes more over against what God has clearly told them. And so I think what we're to see in Jacob, sorry, in Isaac here is that his blindness, while he's physically blind, there seems to be sort of a, a mental blindness or even a, dare I say, spiritual blindness where he's not seeing the state of his family, the state of what God has called him to do, and also the state of Esau. There seems to be almost this secretive ceremony that he wants to then confer this blessing upon Esau and not Jacob. And so then we get in verses 14 through 29, we get Jacob who usurps Esau again. You remember the first time with Esau trading his birthright, trading his birthright for a pot of stew. Here, a pot of stew is used to take his birth. It is his great blessing from his father. And Rebecca gives him what is called what the ESV says are his best garments, Esau's best garments. And likely, again, what, what's happening here is there's some kind of actual ceremony going on that Esau clothing here is probably some kind of ceremonial clothing that in look the way in which there's food and that there's wine and then there's a pronouncement and throughout Genesis there's been the time with Melchizedek there's been the time with Abimelech twice and then there's been the time where the angels visit where there's something important going on and a meal is present and so again I think this is not just simply a, a, a quick little deathbed service but rather something great is being conveyed here and really having an impact on redemptive history. And so Jacob comes in pretending he's Esau. And as Isaac is here, though he's blind and it seems as if other uh, aspects of his body are deteriorating, uh, nonetheless, he still seems to say something doesn't seem right here. As he hears Jacob's voice, which is very distinct and different from Esau's, he gives this test. He has five different tests to determine who this mysterious person is. The first one, he just logically wants to understand how this was accomplished so quickly, because he knows how long it should take roughly for someone to go out to hunt, to kill, to clean, and then to cook and to bring it back. And what has happened here is that this is far too quickly for this to happen. And so it raises alarm bells. And Jacob responds, well, the Lord was with me. The Lord has provided and granted me success. And it's interesting here, now you, you run into this question, is, is Jacob misusing the name of the Lord? Is he attributing to God something that isn't true? I don't know. On the one hand, Jacob is just clearly stretching the truth. But God is with him, isn't he? to make sure that this blessing comes to Jacob. Then he wants to touch him because he knows what Esau's skin feels like. And he finds out, touching the goat's hair, goat's hide, that this is a hairy person. Then he talks about the voice in verse 22, and here this one fails. He says, well, the skin is Esau's, but the voice is Jacob's. 
So then he just directly asks, are you Esau? And Jacob responds, I am. And again, clearly this is just simply a lie. And finally, he brings him in close in order to really give him a kiss so that he can smell the clothing. And he smells and he knows that this is Esau. And again, when you really think of it, how is he fooled by this? And again, I think the answer is that there, this blindness that he has is just indicative of greater deterioration that he's experiencing. And so then in verses 27 through 29, we have this blessing, the, the crux or the, the culmination of this whole passage. It's all about this blessing. And what's incredibly fascinating is that Isaac makes it into the Hall of Heroes in Hebrews 11. And if you were to ask, because as we've seen, his life is really brushed over, isn't it? He just exists in the shadow of Abraham and in the shadow of Jacob. Chapter 26, I think, is really the only chapter that is solely dedicated to him. So if you were to ask, what would the writer of Hebrews then include Isaac, and what action would it be to show that Isaac lived by faith? And the answer is, because of this blessing. And to me, I find that just absolutely fascinating that for the writer of Hebrews, he says, Isaac basically knew that this blessing would accomplish something greater than just the simple words that he spoke. He trusted that the Lord would bring the fulfillment of it, that those words that he spoke were, in a sense, prophetic, and that what he spoke would actually come to pass because he had faith. He had faith in God. He had faith in God's promises. And I think this is why it's all the more apparent that what he's doing is being disobedient. Because if he believes those words have power and they're, in a sense, backed up by the Lord, then to put them on the wrong son starts to become even worse. In verse 27, then, the beginning of this blessing, he recounts what the Lord has done in the past, that this is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. And 28 and 29 become this great blessing. And the first part of this is just a blessing of abundance. May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. The second part of the blessing in verse 29 is the blessing of leadership. People serve you. Nations bow down to you. You will be Lord of your brothers, and your mother's sons will bow down to you. And the third part of the blessing is a reaffirmation of the Abrahamic promises to curse those who curse you and to bless those who bless you. And so as you, you, you look at this blessing, the first one is just simply that he will have a prosperous life. This is something that we've seen in the life of Isaac and in the life of Abraham. But it's the second one where we see the, the blessing of leadership. This was specifically promised by God in chapter 25 to apply to Jacob and not to Esau. And then the third part of this, this Abrahamic blessing, again, would clearly pass on down through Jacob and not Esau. And so this blessing really becomes a, a prophecy, the means by which God is confirming his interest and his stake in this line. And so then the text tells us as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father Esau, his brother came in hunting. The text doesn't point this out, but it does seem comical that now Esau is on the heels of Jacob. 
It's not as if they passed right going out the tent door, but it seems pretty close. That Esau has finished this job. He has cooked this stew and he is coming in and really moments before Jacob had just left. And so he comes in and tells his father, I'm here, father, arise, bless me, eat of this game. And it's there that Isaac begins to be incredibly concerned because who is this, right? The possibilities really are, right, this is Jacob now pretending to be Esau or that was Jacob pretending to be Esau. And so he is very concerned and he responds, not who are you, my son, but simply who are you? (laughs) Who are you? And Esau answers, I'm your firstborn. I'm Esau. The text tells us at that moment, Isaac trembles violently. And he asks this question aloud, then who was it who just came in here before? And it's a rhetorical question, even if Esau will answer it. But they both know in that instant, they both know who it was who came in there. And they both know that it was Jacob. And at this point, it would just seem to be a very strange story and what looks to be somewhat of a strange family. But then you'll note the way in which Isaac speaks. He speaks about the way that he blessed this person who came in before. And in verse 33, yes, and he shall be blessed. Esau then asks, do you not have a blessing for me? And Isaac responds, not really. Though he will eventually give him a blessing, which when we look at it, doesn't look as much of a blessing as maybe we, as maybe he saw himself was wanting. But in giving him this blessing, Isaac says, I've made him Lord over you and of your brothers and the grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you? He asks again through tears, bless me. Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And so Isaac gives him the blessing, which seems to be the invert inversion of the one he gave to Jacob. That Jacob is the one who will dwell in the land and have plenty. Esau will be cast from it. He will be a wanderer like Cain and Ishmael. Jacob will have Those who serve him, Esau, will live a life at war. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And this will play out in the life of Israel. Edom will be a forever thorn in their side, always hostile to Israel. Oftentimes even rejoicing in Israel's downfall. And so both of these blessings will come true. The blessing to Esau will be fulfilled in his life and in the life of his uh, subsequent generations. And the same will be fulfilled in the life of Jacob. But then we end now with Esau enraged, ready to kill Jacob because he's been swindled twice. I think he's overreacting here as he seems to do. He wasn't swindled the first time. He was given a clear choice between stew and birthright. And he chose the stew. Here, however, it does seem to be that the blessing was snatched from his hands. He was there almost ready to grab it as Jacob then runs across and grabs it right before he closes his hand. 
But in reality, that blessing was just simply never his. That blessing was already promised to Jacob. And Isaac, in a sense, had no authority to give it to Esau. As we see here, Isaac finds himself really setting out to disobey God and forced into obedience. And as we think of really through the rest of the scriptures, it's, it's interesting because oftentimes you, you do come to this text and say, well, Jacob clearly tricked, Rebecca clearly tricked what was an old, aging, and blind man. And when you put it that way, it does sound pretty bad. But think about the ways in which the Bible uses deception in order to fulfill God's plan. I mean, in the life of Jacob's son, Judah, Genesis 38 has this episode where Judah's uh, daughter-in-law, her son has died, and he was supposed to provide for her another husband from amongst his sons. You remember the story? She dresses up as a prostitute and suddenly is pregnant with Judah's child. And in this situation, you would look at this and you would go, this is not a good situation. And yet, at the end of it, Judah says that she is more righteous than I am. You have the Hebrew midwives who deceive Pharaoh in order to accomplish God's will of saving the Israelites. And you have Rahab, the prostitute, who deceives in order that she may save the Israelite spies. Now, all of this is to, of course, not say that deception is the right course of action. So hopefully nobody is, again, going to take away the fact that just because these things happen in this capacity. But the Bible is just simply plain about the way in which God is using means. And there are certain things that are worse than other things. Now, obviously, all sin deserves equal condemnation. But here the blessing is supposed to go to the one whom God has chosen. That's the, the greater sin. And the deception really brings home that idea of, of, as we said in the children's talk, the chickens coming home to roost. Isaac sought, Isaac sought to, to disobey God and to really chart his own path. And one wonders when that cry happens and he realizes he doesn't have another blessing, if it dawns on him in that moment that I really messed up there. I really messed up there. And yet God was gracious to him. Well, it sounds as if we've got nothing but a mess here. How is this story in any way helpful for us? One of the quotes I found, and I think I've said it before, but it said when God chose you and, and, and sought to use you for his purposes, he already factored in your stupidity. And someone said, that's the most comforting thing I've ever heard. And I would say, yes, that is very comforting. When we see that here, we actually see that in the life of Jacob. He will just do stupid things. He'll use sticks in order to breed sheep. And yet God uses those means in which to accomplish his purpose. But above all, I mean, we see simply that God has a plan, and that's to bless Jacob and to use him in the life of Messiah. And you've got a father who is being disobedient to that call. And yet the plan goes off without a hitch. 
And at the end of the story, you know, in a sense, the one laughing is God. He has accomplished his purpose. He has used very, if you will, strange means. But ultimately, I think it, it, it brings us forward. It brings us forward to the life of Jesus. Jesus, who would come from Jacob's line. What does Jesus do? He, he takes on flesh. He enters this mess, the mess that we've caused. He enters the mess that Adam brought upon the entirety of the human race. And through that, he brings life and a perfect family. In many ways, the story of Jesus is almost the inversion of the story of Jacob here. Jesus comes in order that we might be brought into a new family, a better family. Jesus doesn't do it by any kind of disobedience or sin. He does it by being holy, forthright and upright. I mean, he told his disciples countless times his plan. And through that great reversal, he is cleaning up the mess that humanity has made. And all the while building this new and better family. So I think we see in this the wonderful good news that God's plan is going forth. You think of what we are to pray for. Your will be done in heaven, done on earth as in heaven. And yet that prayer is being answered. And it's being done and accomplished through the likes of you and me. All throughout the world, even to this very day, God is at work. He is accomplishing his plan. And he's using fallible, sinful human beings to do so. And yet that doesn't in any way prevent his plan from being accomplished. So in many ways, I think this story should just give us hope. That God is at work. He will accomplish his plan. And he's doing that, and we see that most clearly in Jesus Christ. So let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at Gloucester Pres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K.